So we have 40 minutes. Okay, here we go. It's that time of the year again, Reed. Spooky season. Halloween is right around the corner, right? It is, in fact. And you know, whenever Halloween comes rolling around, it's the spirit Halloween stores come to town. They come in and take over the former Circuit City. Did you know that Spirit Halloween has a dress code for their employees? Really? Obviously, it's a lax dress code, right? They call it business casual. (laughs) But here's some things that you can't wear at uh, Spirit Halloween as an employee. Sandals or open-toe shoes. You can't wear ripped jeans. You can wear a Halloween costume, but there are provisions. Your Halloween costume cannot be inflatable. (laughs) It cannot cover your face. And it cannot show your midriff. Could it be the spirit of Halloween? Could be a fireworks stand. I mean, either way. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 352. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. I think we have to build a dress code for being a podcaster. Yeah. Also, clothes shoes. (laughs) Super important when recording. In case the microphone drops on your feet. Yeah. (laughs) They're heavy. They are heavy. You don't have to go steel toed, but you know, you at least need to have something something covering your toes. So well, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us. Touchpoint.health is the website. Welcome back. Or welcome, depending on if it's your first time or not. I certainly appreciate you all listening. Would love it if you'd rate, review, subscribe. That's the best way that people can find out about the show. And we thank all of you for that. Again, touchpoint.health website. While you're there, you'll see something called the TPS report, name, email address. And all that does is get you an email a week. Five articles to start off your week. Hopefully a little value add for you, the listener. So I'll tell you what, we'll pause here before we jump into today's show. Let you go do that. Sign up for the TPS report and subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. And then we'll meet you back on the other side. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. This week I presented at a conference for a CMS company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did a presentation about how CMSs are being used in health systems. 
And, you know, it's interesting because as content management systems, website building platforms, right, as they evolve, they're, they're really leaning in heavily on personalization and being able to track data and integrating with CRMs and marketing automation tools and, and doing all these great, interesting things. But all of the resonant theme here was all of this great new technologies and tools that are being implemented around content management systems work really well unless you work in an environment like ours where we are basically not allowed to track that level of data of people coming to our websites. As part of our presentation, we got into, you have to understand the new regulations from OCR and HIPAA and all, and, you know, patient data and how do we manage it? It was an interesting perspective in this conference where everybody's getting really excited about these new widgets and gadgets for me to come in and say, hey, in healthcare, not so much, you can't do it. Yeah, it's interesting, right? We've just gotten used to certain levels of technology and insights. And, I, you know, I would argue that most of this stuff is not particularly meaningful anyway. And so we need to, it gives us a chance, kind of forces our hand, I guess, to some extent to reimagine exactly what it is that we're trying to understand and what do we need this information for. We have talked about data privacy and data security and the OCR regulations and all that before. Mm-hmm. Today, let's go a little bit into this concept around building a privacy framework. What does that actually mean? And all, we have a great interview later on with Ray Mina from Fresh Paint, where he actually talks about how he works with health systems around how to address this whole challenge of uh, being able to track activity on your website in a meaningful way while keeping data private and secure so you're not compromising data. Sounds good. Well, let's let's do this. We'll rewind the tape here just a little bit and set the stage. You pulled an article from uh, our friends over at Politico called Shut It Off Immediately, The Health Industry Responds to Data Privacy Crackdown. So this is based on, obviously, this year, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has led the new enforcement push finding telehealth companies for violating customers' privacies and barring them from doing so in the future. The director of HHS Office of Civil Rights said her staff launched its own investigation calling online uh, health data collection problematic and widespread. Yeah. Now, we in health systems, we know this, right? We had this big reaction to the guidance from OCR last year about how we can't use third-party tracking data. But the FTC is now starting to enforce it, and and HHS is starting to crack down on it. It's a lot more than just cutting ties with Google and Facebook. It's understanding the entire regulatory landscape. And how do you determine the risk and reward around what can you do and what can't you do? This is a good shift. We, We talked about this before. It's a good shift for privacy for consumers. But on the other hand, it could also make it more challenging for consumers, because if you really follow this to the logical end, it can make it much more difficult for people coming to our websites to find care, right? Mental health care, primary care, whatever it might be. We're having to kind of back away from this significantly because of the FTC and HHS. Yeah. So as they kind of spill some of this stuff out in this article, I thought this was interesting. They talked in here about the first three months of this year. Telemedicine firms spent a quarter of what they did on targeted Facebook and Google last year in the same period the year before. Kind of interesting, right? You're starting to see some of this unwind a little bit. And again, to your previous point, what they talked about here, 
what's the unintended consequence here? Like, I know we're going after privacy, but does this actually impact folks finding the help that they need? By the way, Media Radar said that nonprofit health systems have halved their spending on these types of ads. Hmm. Really interesting. What's really unique about this is that until recently, this concept of health data online that you could do from websites, apps, wearables, or wherever, were thought not to be privy of government oversight. HIPAA didn't have the guidance until last year. Federal health privacy data, they only cover a little bit of the patient data collected by people in regulated industries like ours. But last year, it really came at it very hard. And we've never talked about this before, but even lawmakers tried to propose a broad data privacy legislation, but Congress never got it passed. But that didn't stop HHS and FTC to come in on this, right? Yeah, they're really trying to... You know, expand data protection and, you know, arguing that existing authorities provide them the power to do so, even though they haven't really used that uh, to this point. I think this article does a nice job. We'll link to it. But the OCR surprised insurers and health providers in December when it issued a bulletin expanding the definition of personally identifiable health information and restricting the use of certain marketing technologies. And so this is kind of where we get into this a little bit. And that's where For me, that's really the crux of this. It's not so much HIPAA itself or PHI itself. It's what we're defining it to now include, which email address, okay, geographic location, um, potentially, depends on how granular that is, and then IP address, right? So again, we're getting to a place where I'm not sure what we can track. Yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is, is the FTC is going after other organizations too. Like they went after prescription discount sites and, and other telehealth providers. This year, they've levied so much fines against all of these. This article that we're talking about, we'll talk about how much fines they're doing. They're citing violations of health breach notification rules, which says that entities are not covered by the HIPAA that collect personally identifiable health information and that they have to tell consumer when there's been a breach in their data. Now think about that. They're putting the onus on that business or that health system to regulate itself, but also notify people if there's been a potential breach. This is untenable if you think about it. I'm not even sure how you police this to some extent. Some of the the big ones, obviously, like I think you mentioned the prescription drug type thing, you know, some of these bigger national plays, like I understand, I guess it's easier to go and try to figure out. But this idea that entities that are not covered by HIPAA have to tell if there's a breach. That's interesting. I mean, I get it, but man, I don't know. You know, our industry is kind of trying to push back, right? The AMA has responded back. We've covered this in a previous episode. And even these other organizations, these tele, these for-profit telemedicine companies and health insurers, everybody's like kind of saying, look, are we going too far? Are we pushing too far? It seems like there's a kind of a united front because what we realize is, is that this has, while we understand patient privacy is very important, we have to be very cognizant of the fact that this is important for us to be able to serve up better information to the people coming to our sites. What's the fine line here? What is the way through? I mean, there's a quote in here from the FTC that says that firms that think they can cash in on consumers' health data because HIPAA doesn't apply should think again. 
our recent actions against GoodRx and BetterHelp, or the two that they kind of call out, uh, make it clear that we're prepared to use every tool to protect Americans' health privacy and hold those accountable who abuse it. I don't know. I mean, were they abusing it? Exactly, right? I don't know. I mean, anyway, but it says in here, in both cases, the FTC uh, required the firms to change their data protection practices and halt sharing consumer information. Both companies settled, but obviously denied any sort of wrongdoing. GoodRx said in their statement, they had used vendor technologies to advertise in a way that they believed was compliant, which it hits home, right? Yeah, we've done that. BetterHelp, you know, said in their statement, they were accused of using limited encrypted information to optimize the effectiveness of the advertising. I don't know. It is. It's a fine line. It is, but it's causing all of us in the health industry to stop and sometimes take dramatic effects, right? The article is entitled, shut it off immediately. I think that that there are people, many people listening in that work in a health system, heard that from their legal and compliance team. Shut it all down now. Turn it off. Because it's too risky. Right. And I think I think the pendulum swung a little bit too far on that side. This article, which is really good, if you're interested in what's happening, I would suggest you take a look at it. They end by having a quote. An executive at a telehealth company who spoke in a condition of anonymity so as not to draw attention to his firm, says he doesn't take issue with their actions, but is concerned it could lead to more restrictive privacy guidance that directly interferes with advertising practices. And he says that would suddenly create real challenges for companies to market their services, which if their company is doing something good in the world, you want their services marketed. So how do you draw that balance? And I think it's a good question. And what we're going to do, Reed, is we're going to take a brief pause here. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about a potential opportunity to balance this out. And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Okay, so fine line, where's the fine line? How do you actually, I guess, execute against kind of this new idea, this kind of where we find ourselves? Now, if you think about this, right, the onus is on organizations to regulate themselves. Now, I think that we all working in health systems, or if you work in a digital health company or whatever, you know, you're not looking to flagrantly abuse patient data, but you have to create a privacy framework of some sort. What that is, is really a set of policies and procedures designed to protect the privacy of patients when you collect data and you use it and wherever you share it. In theory, this sounds really benign, right, as we think about this. But there are certain parts of this framework that are very important to kind of look at. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And so first and foremost, let's kind of, I guess, sketch out the organization's digital footprint, right? Like how, how, like where, where is this data, right? So first off the data, the actual 
art of collecting the data itself. So framework should define what types of data is collected, how it's collected, you know, what's the intended use. And then you should also define how you're going to use that data. What is it being used for? Is it being used for treatment, for research, for marketing purposes, for administrative purposes? This sounds pretty straightforward so far. I think so. Data sharing. So again, once you have it, where's it going? You know, other entities, third parties, vendors, in and amongst your own organization for research, for example. Yeah, and this is where the concept of a BAA is very important. If you're sharing it with a third party, you need to have that. And then lastly, the framework has to define how you protect the security of that data it collects. You can't just leave it out there in these non-HIPAA compliant forms. You have to show that you're putting some security and framework around that. And by the way, this framework, collection, use, sharing, and security, it gives you sort of like an action plan about how you do your audit, how you start to define it, and ultimately that statement that you need to put on your website about data privacy that everybody has to have. So that becomes really important. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I think what's interesting there is the flexibility piece. Stuff's going to continue to change and evolve. Like using AI, for example, is one. What are some other elements that should be included in a privacy framework, Reid? Transparency uh, is one. How do you talk about the data collection, the usage, the sharing? You know, how, how do you talk about it and put it in a place where patients, individuals, consumers, whatever, can understand what you're doing and what, what your plans are in plain English? You also have to give the users a choice. People that come to your website have to be able to opt out and they should be able to understand where their data is collected and how it's shared. And If they don't like it, if they're uncomfortable with it, they should be able to opt out of their data being used for certain purposes, like research and marketing, for example. You can't really opt out of your data being used for clinical care, but definitely for research and marketing purposes. And then there has to be some level of accountability that's spelled out up front. So you got to be accountable for protecting it, you know, and then obviously what you're doing with it and things like that. Uh, but you then ultimately have to have a process for how do you handle questions, input, complaints, investigations, you know, that kind of thing. That's right. Now, please know, neither Reed or I are lawyers. Oh, gosh, no. Definitely work with your legal and compliance team on this, right? But when you're doing it at a high level, there are some steps that you could take to implement this privacy framework. The first is you want to do that assessment, right? You want to look at what's out there identify the privacy risks of your existing footprint. And then you want to actually develop and implement, you know, policies and procedures that you don't have. So maybe it's editing or refreshing some things you have. Uh, Maybe it's creating wholly new pieces as well. But they need to be able to address all the aspects of the digital footprint, like we've talked about, the collection, the use, the sharing, the security, all those things. Right. Also, train people who are involved on this. When this big blow up happened last December, I spent a lot of time training my own marketing communications team on what this means. So any staff that can handle potential patient data need to be trained on those privacy policies and procedures. And then also, finally, uh, monitor and review. So again, this is not a, you know, once you're done, you're done kind of a thing, right? So you've got to regularly look at this, monitor, review the framework to make sure that it's up to date. So as things change, like we talked about just a minute ago, this has to be somewhat fluid and flexible. You've got to have a way to, number one, monitor what the changes are, and then monitor your own frameworks and policies and that kind of thing. 
Now, again, this sounds pretty simplistic. The devil's in the details, obviously, as you do this. But if you could do this, it shows a commitment, right, towards protecting privacy of patients and other individuals with their data. This is sort of the spirit of what these HIPAA regulations are. And so even by doing this, again, I'm not a lawyer, but even making that good faith effort to try to wrangle this issue is a step in the right direction. Let's not go by the mantra of rip it all out. Maybe there is a way through here. It just takes some structure around how to get it done. And it's complicated. For sure it is. And this is not something you just do in your office one day. You know, uh, I mean, there's like other parts of the team we mentioned, obviously, we're not lawyers. Well, you should include those folks uh, as well as compliance. And there's a whole group of folks that need to weigh in on all of this. This is our kind of perspective on data privacy. I had a chance to sit down with Ray Fina from FreshPain uh, recently, where he and I had talked about how he works with health systems. Now, if you don't know FreshPain, they are a technology company that actually works with health systems on a variety of different technologies. But the one technology in general, the product that they have, is really focused on helping to build tracking and basically privacy within your digital footprint. And he's been spending a lot of time lately talking with health systems and helping them manage through how he approaches solving this problem for patient privacy. It's a great interview. So we're going to take a brief pause here, go to that interview, listen into what Ray has to say, and then Reed, you and I will be back to close out the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today I'm excited to have someone that I just recently met. I think you and I, Ray, we were on a video together and that's how I got to know you. We connected on LinkedIn and had a couple conversations. And now I'm excited to do a deep dive interview with you. And that's Ray Mina from Fresh Paint. How are you? Hey, Chris. Yeah, you're right. I think it was one of uh, our agency partners that slotted us in on a video that they produced. And yeah, it's been amazing. I feel like I've known you for over a year. I think it's because you and I are kind of similar mindset around multiple things, including the topic we're going to go deep dive into today. But I, when I heard you in this video, I said, I got to get you on the show. But anyway, Ray, before we jump into our topic today, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, a brief background of who you are, your experience, and what you what you do at FreshPoint. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty interesting. I I don't have a background in healthcare marketing like you do, Chris, but I have been, I guess you could call me a bit of a serial uh, head of marketing at startups. I've done about eight eight startups now, all early stage. And what's interesting about this moment is that we're going to get into talking about some of the tools in the tech stack or that that are really being impacted for healthcare marketing teams. But I've actually built multiple startups leveraging those tools for growth models. So I'm pretty intimately aware with how those tools work, what kind of data they collect. And at FreshPaint, what what I think what that helps me do is really get into the head and really understand what marketing leaders are facing right now. Like I understand the existential crisis of suddenly learning 
that some of these tools uh, may not be permissible because of, of regulations. What Fresh Paint does, Chris, is these healthcare marketers really are, are facing kind of the potential elimination of a bunch of acquisition tools, you know, typical consumer marketing tools like Facebook and Google ads and the tools you use to measure them. And they need a way to be able to make those tools safe, make them HIPAA compliant. And Fresh Paint slots in and basically helps um, achieve that, which I think we'll probably get into a tiny bit today. It's kind of this come up and that's been that, that has occurred in our industry. Now we've always been concerned in health systems and and hospitals and you know even digital health companies, et cetera, around keeping patient data private and secure. Yet, what I've and my background as a digital marketer in healthcare for many years, I also noticed that we leverage a lot of third party tools, like you know the stuff coming from Meta and from Google that always kind of made me think like, what are they doing with that data? Because these companies, Meta, Alphabet, and, and, and Google, they're data brokers, ultimately. That's what they do, right? They track data and they use it to do a lot of different things, but to power their tools and things. So in my mind, I, that's the thing that I, I was most concerned about. And then when the OCR guidance last year kind of really firmly underscored the fact that we need to, as healthcare professionals, digital professionals in the healthcare space, we need to protect patient privacy. And we can't rely on these third-party tools that are free. We have to actually formulate a better privacy strategy or privacy approach. This has been really a fascinating story to follow. And you and I, when we talked last week, I was at ShushMed, and I, I we were both kind of surprised to see that a lot of healthcare organizations are still coming up the speed here. But this all started last year, like last summer, when a, a media company basically outed, you know, 100 hospitals potentially sharing PHI with, with Meta, a whole bunch of class action lawsuits opened up. And then, as you pointed out, HHS OCR updated the guidance. What wasn't surprising to us was the guidance itself, because we've been working with health tech companies like Modern Health and Talkiatry and Two Chairs for several years now. And they've always had this concern about tools that are hanging on their website that may be picking up sensitive information. But traditional healthcare had a different mental model. And that mental model was, yeah, that all was a big concern when it came to a known patient or logged in user, but not for anonymous visitors hitting your website, right? Like someone clicks an ad, they come to your website, they don't fill out any forms with their email or name, and, and that's okay, that stuff is okay. The biggest surprise for me was how surprised traditional healthcare was that in fact, those anonymous visitors are not anonymous, that there are things being captured that actually reveal their identity uh, and reveal health information about them. That was an eye-opening moment for me that, that suddenly this mental um, model was required. There was a shift that was required for much of the industry. It's not a big surprise though, right? I mean, we've, we've been hearing for years, even before this revised guidance, people are able to take cell phone data and be able to track where people are at. Uh, Google has over 2000 data points about anybody using Google products about, you know, and what the websites they go to. Meta, Facebook has been doing this. It was a surprise, but it really wasn't a surprise to me when I heard it. I suddenly was like saying, oh yeah, this totally makes sense. And why are we leveraging these free tools? Nothing's free. If you get something for free, 
the company that's actually giving it to you is probably mining that for additional data. That led to this kind of big comeuppance in our industry around, oh, we have to revisit this. I'd like to call it the great ungoogling because I think it impacts all of the Google product sets that we use, like even Google Maps and Google Translate and other things like that, right? But it really is around this new renewed focus around privacy and how do we manage privacy in a digital space? That's a world we're in. And I think healthcare is a canary in the coal mine. This is not a, right now we're talking about HIPAA regulations, but meanwhile, the FTC and different states are, are you know, cracking down on consumer privacy across the board, even unrelated to healthcare. So this might be a controversial statement, but this is probably one of the issues in America that is not partisan, like both sides of the aisle are passing legislation around protecting privacy. So it's a it's a big thing that's happening across a bunch of different industries. Suddenly we're starting to see more and more consciousness around overall privacy, but patient privacy is that highly sensitive that there are regulations in place, rightfully or wrongly, you know, HIPAA has been around for many, many years and it has to evolve to meet where we are in our new space. Back in 1996, I don't think they were thinking about being able to track digital traffic in the way that we are today. So this really kind of focus, this leads us to the focus of what I want to talk to you about, this idea of having a privacy framework. Yeah, I think it would be helpful just because we talked a little bit about this change in mental model that happened. And the mental model shift was that suddenly anonymous visitors to a website uh, were suddenly something you need to think about from a privacy standpoint. And specifically, and Chris, you you rattled off a lot of tools. There are a lot of tools that this could potentially be, you know, impact. Let's face it, the existential crisis right now in healthcare is around the analytics and advertising tools, the Google Analytics, the Facebook ads, Microsoft ad, Google ads. And the reason is that the tracking technologies that you load onto your healthcare website to power those tools stick client side, they, meaning they literally load when someone visits your website. And when that someone visits your website, they're no longer anonymous because by default, those tools are capturing things like IP address and device ID, which HIPAA considers identifiers. They can identify the, um, the actual person visiting. And they're also capturing the context of their visit. So did they look at certain videos? Did they go to certain pages? Did they click on certain buttons? All of that can be contextualized and reveal health information. So a simple visit to a pregnancy services page with an IP address from a HIPAA standpoint is considered PHI. That is enough to uh, get you into trouble. So when you think about it in that way, suddenly you have to start revisiting the entire tech stack. And what we saw very early on was this rush to address point solutions. And what we've seen over time by talking to hundreds of legal and compliance and, and IT folks, this is not a point solution problem. This is a process problem. What I mean by that is that you actually have to step back and you, you have to assess all of the tools that you're leveraging in your tech stack because not all of them, it's not like, it's not like you need to remove all of them. You just need to get an understanding of where these trackers are installed what do these tools do? How do they, how do they work downstream? It, it, is a legal framework in place um, to allow you to capture certain data? Are they sending PHI? This is kind of how we've come to this place from all these conversations that 
healthcare marketers need, they're, they're going to inherit this responsibility. They own the website. So what is the process that they need to go through? What is this framework they need to use to start thinking about privacy when they think about any tool in their tech stack? And when I think of your, your tech stack as a digital marketer, your website is a, probably the most frequented place. That's where many people start or engage or end up as they're kind of engaging with you online digitally. That website is basically a bridge to everything else that's out there. Your patient portals, your physician provider search, which may or may not be, you know, on the same domain, sign up for emails and all of this. So, I mean, this has an impact across all of your technology stack. And I think that, you know, the gut reaction was, well, let's just remove the analytics across all of it to remove that risk. But you're suggesting a little bit different here, right? It's like doing a little bit more of a, pardon the pun, surgical approach to this and understanding what each part of the tech stack looks like. Tell me, explain that a little bit more to me. Yeah, well, what you said is exactly what legal and compliance start with, which is just remove all this stuff, right? You're using Google Analytics to measure your experience and performance across your website. What's working? What's not working? That's not just about ads. That's organic traffic and referral traffic. It's really, really valuable data. Like if you if you turn the lights out after seven years of building a culture driven by data, that's chaos. I mean, you, you and I know this. Like, if I can't measure our performance, how do I get better for my visitors and patients? And then the ad ecosystem, like, let's it's consumer marketing. Patients are consumers. We're trying to reach consumers and, and promote and share new services that could potentially give them a better quality of life. If you tell me that like, I have to shut off the two greatest consumer advertising channels ever created in the history of marketing, that's an existential crisis for my team. So shutting this off, yeah, that solves the privacy issue, but that presents an existential crisis for the growth of that healthcare organization in a market where margins and marketing is already really, really hard. The way that you can rethink it is you have to just first understand what are the trackers that are installed? Create a list, like get your IT team involved. What are the trackers installed? And then you need to do an analysis of where those trackers are installed and whether or not they're sharing PHI. Just, just because a tracker is installed, it doesn't automatically mean that it's sharing PHI. If it's, if it's not on pages that contain health information, you know it's going to be sharing identifiers like IP but it may not be sharing health information. This is actually something people get really confused about. I see people all the time talk about PHI and PII as the same thing. PII, that's identifiers. That's, that's not a HIPAA thing. HIPAA is specific about what PHI is. It's the combination of the identifier plus the health information, plus the context, not one or the other, both. So you know, do that analysis because you may have trackers installed uh, on pages that you know are not putting you at risk. Eventually, what you're going to come to is you're going to come to a bunch of trackers that are installed on. I gave the example of the pregnancy services page, or um, some you know maybe maybe type two diabetes is something that y- your organization is really good at treating. So there's some content about that. Those pages are definitely health information according to the guidance. Now you need to do a deeper analysis. You you first need to check to see, is it permissible for this tracker to send PHI to the destination, right? So you're going to end up with a bunch of tools that are sharing PHI 
and you need to find out if it's permissible. Permissible means you have the legal framework in place to make it legal to share PHI, protected health information. And that, you know, people generally understand that as getting a business associate agreement signed. A BAA, yeah. A BAA, exactly. This is where it gets really confusing for people because there are a bunch of tools in your tech stack that A, they need identifiers and health information. What are those tools? You've used them, Chris. Like a data warehouse is meant to be the source of truth for like your entire data set to do like granular analysis. And you're going to have identifiers, you're going to have health information. I've talked to companies, they're using a CRM that won't sign a BAA. A CRM for anyone not familiar is just the place where you store customer records and information. The one benefit of a CRM is you can collect their email, their name, their phone number. You can collect a lot of contextual data about where they are in their journey with you as a patient or customer. That's all PHI. And the benefit of having all that is to segment those patients to send them just the right message at just the right time. How in the world are you going to do that without having a BAA and without sharing that protected health information? So don't don't assume that every tracker means that like you can't utilize it. You have to do that work first. And if you end up with tools where you know you have to share a full data set to make them work, you have no choice. You have to use tools that will sign a BA. If you're using one that refuses to, it may be a cause for you to switch to a, to a different provider. So many of those technology platforms, right? CRM is one. I would even argue that the patient portal is another. Having tracking within your patient portal, again, not Google Analytics tracking, is totally okay, right? Uh, marketing automation, CDP tools, if you have those in place, many of these you know, have them. I even going into like third-party plugins, like with online appointment scheduling, et cetera. In the audit that, uh, you know, I did at previous organizations, we were able to identify those and identify that there is a BAA in place. And because there's a BAA in place, any kind of tracking that they have natively within their tools, that's good data for us to kind of track. So is it really the big boogeyman here of just like, you know, ad tracking and all of that, because I, I think there's still a little bit of nuance around other things in your tech stack. You know, you've you've gone through this bucket of tools where you have you need to have a BAA because you send a whole data set to. And what's going to happen is so you've 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 in the privacy framework, you've done some great work on understanding that in the process. But but you're inevitably going to end up with a bunch of tools that are behaving in the way that we've talked about violating HIPAA, which is. They're also sending PHI and you don't have a BA and guess what? You'll never get one. So if you think about the ad ecosystem tools, some of the web analytics tools, those organizations refuse to sign BAAs. Why? Because as you nailed it, Chris, like those ad platforms, they use the data they collect to create the best targeting engines in the history of the world. And so they have no interest in signaling to consumers that they're willing to throttle that collection. It, it, it would be, it would cause potentially cause their advertising revenue to drop precipitously. And why would they want to erase 250 billion in revenue per year? You're going to have those tools, but then a lot of other tools also exist that are free tools. If you host videos on Vimeo or YouTube and you have an embedded player on your healthcare website, those tools don't sign BAAs. And guess what? Those videos you uploaded to Vimeo 
they have context potentially about health information, preparing for your treatment, preparing for your surgery. That's health information. And all of those embedded players share IP addresses back to those tools. So you're going to end up with a bucket of tools that are actually critical to not only acquisition, but experience of visitors where you cannot get a BAA. And that's the part uh, that requires a, a different type of solution. We call that part the govern part of the privacy framework. The, the first three parts are you audit for the trackers, you analyze the trackers to see if PHI is even being shared, you verify, can I share that PHI? And then for that bucket of tools where you cannot get a BAA, this requires you to govern the data so that PHI, that protected health information, is never shared with that tool. So how, how do you make that happen and still make those tools work effectively? Is That's really the conundrum that a lot of healthcare marketers are in right now. Yeah, and I think it gets more complicated too because we're implementing a lot of these other newer tools to, to make that experience and that acquisition play, right, that much more meaningful for, for consumers. And we hear... On one hand, they want more and more communication that's personalized. And when personalization, in my mind, is they have to know more and more about you in order for us to personalize our communication with you. But at the same time, they're, the healthcare consumers are also saying, but we want to protect our privacy online, which is the ultimate you know, conundrum here, right? It's like, we want to be personalized, but we also want to be private at the same time. And there's all these tools now that uh, are new, like chatbots. And I know the big buzz at Shushmed was AI, right? And h- how does AI fit within the privacy framework? What, what, what advice would you give to health systems around this? I would think of it as a funnel, right? There's, there's a bunch of tools at the top of the funnel that help you acquire patients, because really that's that's the name of the game. A lot of healthcare marketers are aimed at getting scheduled appointments and filling offices and, you know, getting more babies delivered. That That's like the business that we're in. So at the top of the funnel, there's really no need to share PHI. That's the, that's the governing layer. And we, we can chat a little bit about how you could do that. But then as you go deeper into the funnel and you start to have more context, as you said, people... People want to have this personalized message, just-in-time experience. You can still deliver that. You just need to make sure the tools that have, like, let's say you're using some kind of engagement platform where you want to move past just reminding people of an appointment. You want it to be more experiential. You're not going to be able to deliver that unless those downstream tools have that legal framework in place that allow you to understand where they're at in their journey. So you know, at the top of the funnel, you're going to need to think about ways that you govern the data and you don't share PHI with a lot of these ecosystem tools because they are not HIPAA compliant. And as you move down the funnel, you're absolutely, the mandate is going to be that you leverage tools that can actually allow you to segment your users based on their, based on their current experience. You know, it's interesting, too, because in most health systems, if you if you think about this funnel, this acquisition funnel, and even like we could extend it even further to the overall customer funnel, right, which starts with acquisition, et cetera, at a certain point, your IT partners take over, right? They become an identified patient. Now they're interacting with the portal and other types of communications that are going on. There is this sort of tendency now to, to try to interrelate 
marketing technology tools into your overall technology stack. So as you look at this, right, as we start to look at the bigger picture here, we're moving into a world where we as digital experts that are focused on privacy and security, I believe we have to understand how privacy is tracked throughout the entire journey of that potential patient to existing patient and there and even after that. I 100% agree with that. And and I think that's one of the reasons that companies like Fresh Paint exist because healthcare marketers, I'm going to make a generalization. There'll be someone who listens to this that says I'm wrong and you're the outlier. But healthcare organizations are very different. Traditional healthcare is very different than B2B SaaS startups and like direct to consumers where it's like the tech stack and the engineering resources you have to build it and support it are, are there. In healthcare, at least from the hundreds of customers we're working with, they don't have access to engineering. They don't have access to resources that will help them manage this like flow of data, like governing the data flow between tools where it's okay to send the data set and tools where it's not okay. And so you're going to need some kind of tool in the middle that actually helps you manage that in a self-service way where it doesn't require engineers to get in the code base. You mentioned it on this call about CDPs and, and you and I have talked about CDPs when we previously connected. For, for everyone, CDP, another acronym, there's plenty of these. Customer data platforms promise you that you can capture a bunch of behavioral data of visitors and users from your website, from your product, and that you can share that with a bunch of tools in not just your marketing tech stack, but to product, to data science, to a whole bunch of tools that your, that your organization uses and make it really easy to do. And there's a lot of healthcare providers right now looking at customer data platforms to help solve this part of the governance. And the problem is customer data platforms are not designed for heavy, heavily regulated industries. The goal of that customer data platform is to make it easy to get the data to the tool. That's super problematic for healthcare marketers. You actually need to make it difficult. You need some friction so that there's a default state where non-compliant tools get no data and you need to opt in to send that data. And, and this is where customer data platforms are not the solution, but we need to rethink this market and think more about privacy platforms. Platforms that connect to your website and to your product and, and all the other places where patients and visitors will experience your organization, but then also connect to downstream tools, but do it in such a way that takes a privacy first approach. This maps very closely to a privacy framework to make sure that data isn't inadvertently shared with the wrong destination. And it kind of speaks to the fact that what we're working on now is much is much greater, right? This is now, this is not a Google Analytics problem. This is a privacy problem, right? Or or, or let's not, maybe we'll eliminate the word problem. We'll say privacy um, opportunity here, right? At your organization to think about it in a certain way. And it does involve your IT teams and your legal and your compliance teams and all of those. I'd love to hear, you saw how OCR reacted and created new guidance, right? What are they going to extend security requirements or privacy requirements to other aspects of a technology stack? And in particular, I'm, I'm uh, trying to pin, trying to be subtle, but asking about generative AI solutions or even you know chatbot solutions. You think that's next? It's a great question, Chris. I 
you know, when they first came out with the guidance, they officially they officially came out with the guidance in December of last year. And a lot of organizations reacted to it and did something about it. And understandably, a lot of organizations said, we're going to wait and see what happens. And then the AHA issued a jointly signed letter to HHSOCR. I think 40,000, you know, medical professionals signed it, you know, basically saying we need you to like, we need you to rethink your guidance. We need you to think, you know, clarify your guidance. And many people we talked to had the impression that the response from HHS would be to back down on some of these things. When in fact, a few weeks ago, HHS and the FTC issued another joint letter to 130 healthcare providers with a final warning. Like they did not back down, they doubled down. And I, I don't have this knowledge firsthand, but we have a partner that works with a lot of law firms uh, who represent healthcare providers that are currently being sued in, in different lawsuits. And they met with OCR. And the information they shared with me is that OCR is going to double down on the IP address as being an identifier. If you think, Chris, you and I have been around for a while, like you know how the internet works. Almost all of these tools that you're connecting to some other server require the IP address to make that connection. I don't know. I, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what additional <laughs> guidance is going to come. But if if HHS is already issuing guidance, if the FTC is already coming down, if states are already passing regulations hinging on IP address, there is going to be a whole bunch of tools that either have to rethink their business models and sign BAAs, which free tools will never do. The, uh, signing a BA is like a very expensive thing for a company. Uh, for the provider, that's a, the vendor, it's a big commitment. Or they're going to have to rethink those tools or healthcare marketers are going to be in a constant battle trying to figure out like what tools are compliant, what trackers are on their website. And that's why this privacy framework is really important. And don't think about this as a point solution. Think about something that you can do that's a process that's durable as new unexpected regulations and iterations come down. You are in a position where you can actually keep up with them. This is such good, strong words uh, from you, Ray. I really appreciate that. Boy, I could talk to you about this stuff for a very long time. But, uh, you know, I think that what would be great is, as we kind of close out today's conversation, I'd love for you to share a little bit about how people can learn a little bit more about you, about Fresh Paint. And I think we're going to link to a couple of your blog posts on your website as well. Thanks for offering that. I, I think the thing that's important for me is to keep the conversation going with folks. And so what we're doing, what we're committed to is, you know, freshpaint.io is our website. Over on our blog, we're writing quite a few pieces about this privacy framework and, and the different parts. Like, how would you even do an audit? How would you analyze your, your trackers to see if PHI is being shared? So there's a blog post over there about our privacy first framework. And, you know, for all the marketers who like the hub and spoke strategy, that's the hub piece. And all the spokes of that are the individual deep dives into all these different components of how to build your tech stack. And then we're doing tons of webinars uh, with Fortalis, who's doing some great work on helping healthcare providers do really detailed audits. So yeah, pop over to the website, freshpaint.io. Definitely recommend reading that privacy first framework piece, which I'll I'll make sure we, we share with you, Chris, so you can link to it in this episode so people can easily find it. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And so we encourage people to uh, connect and go over to your website. In addition, we'll link to your LinkedIn profile so people can connect with you and maybe carry on the conversation there as well. Happy to have conversation. I know this stuff can be really nuanced and marketers were not lawyers and, and I'm not either, but <laughs> I've, I've had over the last year, probably a hundred plus conversations with some of the biggest law firms in the country and compliance teams. So I can at least share with you how they're thinking about this stuff so far. Handy to have that insight. Yeah, I really appreciate that, Ray. And I'd love to have you back on maybe in the future to talk about something that's a little less dire than privacy, but <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe something we could, we could find some hope and light behind all of this, uh, this new kind of comeuppance in our industry. You told me the story about how you started this podcast by by meeting your partner Reed and 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 having a drink together. So you you promised that we'll do a episode somewhere we can actually like have a cocktail and be a little bit more uh, relaxed about the topic. Absolutely. Well, consider that promise uh, to be fulfilled in the near future. So, Ray, thanks for jumping on and and sharing some of your insights with us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris, and really really enjoyed this dialogue with you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Special thanks to Ray for coming on the show. Appreciate his uh, insights and, and thoughts around this. I know Fresh Paint's one of those that's uh, been pretty vocal on this front around privacy and, and the work that they're doing. And so appreciate his his time and insights. Again, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health and the TPS report. Uh, if you sign up for those, rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. Let us know if you're going to be at HCIC. That's coming up soon as far as the calendar goes and you know we'd love to know who's who's going to make it do that through linkedin reach out to us connect with us let us know how things are going if there's things we should uh, talk more about people we should have on all that kind of fun stuff so yeah read and before you know it, we're going to be at the end of the year so we're going to be putting out a survey for the end of the year award ceremony show that we do oh, yeah. here, right yeah. so yeah stay That's tuned right. for that coming up and we'd love to hear from you what you think of the shows that we've done so far how we could do them better things that we're missing that's going to be a really fun uh, survey that you could do to help us award some of our uh, best speakers best uh, guest uh, interviews even the best shows of the year so stay tuned for that coming soon there you go all right what do you have today as far as a recommendation you know you and i travel Sometimes you just ha- it's okay to take an Uber or a Lyft or a cab or whatever to get to your destination, but sometimes you need to rent a car. Over the last year, I have come to find a new rental car company that's a little bit different than others. It's a company called Sixth, S-I-X-T. Oh, okay. But this one is one, and first of all, it's a, it's a German-based company, and they have a partnership with BMW. So what they first came into the businesses is they were being rental they were giving rental cars of just BMWs. That's what they were doing. Now they have expanded, but they still kind of fit in that sort of luxury car world where you can rent a car that's at the top line, sort of a luxury mm-hmm. car. 
but they're at the prices of a normal economy car, which is really interesting. It's a rental car. Now, it's not completely different in that it's just got this kind of new, I don't know, air about it. But it's really worth consideration. They have BMW models. They have top of the line, you know, all the high end. And then they also have the higher end models of the other, you know, other car companies as well, including a lot of electric cars that you can rent. Everything that you do is online. And what I mean by that is they have an app that's really easy to do. And when you get to their counter, they rarely have someone at their counter because you do your electric check-in, your electric check-out. Of course, there's someone there to look at everything before you drive the car off the lot. But you don't even have to wait in line at most times when you go to the airport, you know, when you go to the airport rent-a-car place. Interesting. So I've used this company a couple of times, and I found it to be really, really great. I recall, you know, arriving at my destination, there were lines out the door for the other rental car companies. I just breezed right through. I got my car in less than five minutes. I was going, and I was able to keep track of everything on my on my app, it would track me um, as I'm driving through the car, so it would understand the mileage I put on it. Not that they charge my mileage, they charge by the day. But the thing is, is I, I just really enjoy the experience. So if you're ever out there in the need to rent a car, I'd strongly urge you to uh, try out this rental company called Sixt, S-I-X-T. Nice. That's good. Very practical. I am going to recommend uh, a recent iOS app. Again, I assume they maybe have an Android one as well. I don't know for uh, a daily devotional. And so I've kind of bounced around and used different things through the years, whether it's just like a Bible app or something like that. But this one's called practice Devo, like devotional. The design is really, really good. And if you're just looking for something simple that each day it just prompts you with kind of a thought, uh, one word at a time is how they they talk about it. And so it'll start off with with a word and the definition of that word. And then it gives you some scripture relative to that word. And then um, it kind of walks you through uh, a couple of other thought processes. So there's no ads. There's no logins. There's no subscriptions. Like you don't have an account. There's no, I mean, it's super lightweight as far as if you're interested in good app design, it's probably worth taking a peek at it as well. But it's really, really cool. Really well done. I mean, it's got dark mode and all that kind of fun stuff, but it's just super, super simple. A word each day, a definition each day, a scripture, a practice and a prayer. Uh, You just flip through it and um, yeah, it's really cool. So, did you say it's non-denominational? I mean, obviously it's Christian, but I mean, mm-hmm. wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I think the only thing you have to pay for have to pay for if you wanted to go backwards in time, like see the previous day or like mouse, or, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that you pay for that. But if you just open it up and just want to use whatever that day's prompt is, it's uh, it's free and there's no ads, so it's uh, it's pretty cool. What a good so, recommendation! Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, folks. Well, thanks again for listening to another episode of Touchpoint. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. Rate, review, subscribe, reach out to us. Uh, We certainly appreciate all the support. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.